Hey everyone, welcome back to GraphQL Radio. I'm your host, Avi Iyer, with my co-host, Max Stoiber. And today, we have Peggy Rezis, Director of Developer Experience at Apollo. Welcome, Peggy. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to chat GraphQL with you all today. Yeah, it's been a while since we had this show in the first place, uh, several years, and a lot of time has ha- uh, passed, and the GraphQL community has really grown. You were there in the beginning with all of us at Apollo. Could you kind of explain how you've seen GraphQL change and your position in it? Yeah, absolutely. So when I first joined the GraphQL community, back when I was an engineer at Major League Soccer, seeing the whole transition from REST to GraphQL, that was like five, six years ago at this point, and it has grown and matured so much since then. You know, when I first started at Apollo, I was an open source engineer working on Apollo Client. We were about at like 100,000 weekly downloads then. Now, you know, four years plus later, we're at over 3 million weekly downloads. We've seen so much innovation happening in the GraphQL ecosystem from new languages popping up and being supported. New companies starting like GraphCDN. Congrats to you, Max. So there's just been a lot of energy and excitement in the space, and I'm so thankful to be a member of the GraphQL community and be on this journey with you all. I would actually love to dive into that a little bit. You mentioned that you originally worked at Major League Soccer and then joined Apollo originally as an open source engineer. How did that transition go for you to go from these IC engineering roles into becoming the director of developer experience? How did that how did that transition go for you and, and how does it feel to be in this position? Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started as an open source engineer, I was primarily working on client tooling. And over the course of my year working as an open source engineer, a lot of my work gradually morphed into developer advocacy, whether that was speaking about Apollo at conferences, uh, you know, that's you know, where we uh, used to all see each other in person back before the pandemic, either, you know, speaking at conferences, teaching workshops, writing docs and blog posts. And so over time, my role kind of gradually morphed into more of that versus the code. And it had a great impact on adoption, like Apollo client adoption grew exponentially after that. And so when we were starting to kind of look at our, our next phase of growth, I was given the opportunity to start a team focused on developer experience from the ground up. So I started leading my team, gradually kind of building out what the developer experience function looks like at Apollo. Three years later, we're now at 18 people in our org. We have three teams, DevRel, Education, and Video. And uh, it's just been so amazing to both be at a company that gives me a lot of freedom to kind of uh, work on what's going to impact the Apollo community most, but also to the Apollo community for just like being so passionate and excited about GraphQL and, you know, contributing and adopting our tools. That's so cool. I, I think education is like table stakes for open source projects these days. But like, how do you kind of combine education and community together? Like, what's the Apollo secret sauce there? Yeah, so I think... You know, at the end of the day, like developers want to feel productive. They want to 
you know, ship their code and, and get their ideas out there into the world. And so education is really so fundamental and important. And I think when you can really help a developer solve one of their pain points or fix a bug through like either content or code solutions, they then form like an emotional attachment with your tool, right? And they want to be a graph developer or, you know, an Apollo developer. And so I think really investing in education builds and maintains developer trust, which is so important to then growing and evolving the community. So I think it's kind of twofold, right? Both that like focus on education and then providing a safe space where developers can gather and share ideas, connect and learn from each other. I also have a question that ties into this, which is your organization is called Developer Experience, right? How does that relate to the rest of the organization? How does the Developer Experience org work with the engineering organization or the design organization in order to improve the developer experience of Apollo's products and open source libraries, I would assume? Yeah, absolutely. So it looks different at every company, like in some companies, it's in center marketing, some companies, it's in center product. We are really our own standalone org at Apollo. Uh, I report to the CTO. And so we are kind of at the crossroads of all of these functions, right? Like we help every function at Apollo, whether it's product or engineering or marketing or customer success, we represent the eyes and ears of the developers. And so part of our job is not only to grow and strengthen the Apollo community, but also help other functions at Apollo understand who our developers are and what they care about. And so being able to kind of educate every function at Apollo, um, you know, what matters most to developers just helps every function become more developer centric and helps us all act in the best interest of the community. And so in any given week, right, we could be maybe helping marketing with different campaigns and help them discover like what topics are important to developers. Maybe it's caching or security or auth. We could be testing out a new release of Apollo client or Apollo server. We do um, what's called friction logs where we kind of just like sit in the shoes of the developers and record ourselves like through video going through each of the steps that they would take like to the, adopt the tool. And so that's been really valuable in providing feedback. You know, we could be working with customers and success uh, and solutions on workshops, for example, or like bubbling back what the community is saying back to product, which will then influence the roadmap. So it's truly a, a really cross-functional role. And that's what keeps it so fun and exciting. Yeah, it's so cool that it's its own organization. And a lot of different engineering teams that I've seen, or sorry, product companies, it is kind of buried in marketing. And, you know, the question is like, oh, well, how much impact do I have on DX if I'm in a marketing team versus next to like fellow engineers or like side by side with other teams? So let's just say like Apollo is going to release something new or create something new. How does the DevX uh, team like, how are they integrated into that process? Are the engineers themselves required to write docs or is it like a partnership between the two teams? Like, how's that run? 
So we like to get involved as early as possible. And so where we found the most success is when developer experience is partnering with engineering to develop the features side by side. So we could be reviewing design docs, like providing feedback on the shape of the API and the ergonomics of the API. We also like to kind of have a doc strategy in place first. One of the things that we really pride ourselves on is that everything that we release, whether it's alpha or beta or a major version is completely documented so developers know how to use it. And so we have folks on my team who are specialists in docs. However, they, you know, not exactly write the docs for the engineers, but they empower them to write better documentation. So they'll sit with them to figure out like, okay, what should the information architecture look like? How should we structure this page? Then engineering will come in and kind of like fill in the details and we'll work collaboratively with them and test out the docs to make sure that the steps all make sense. So it's really a collaborative process from start to finish. And I think, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I think that's why Apollo's tools do have such a great developer experience because it is baked into how we do product and engineering here. That's super fascinating to hear. And I'm glad to hear it's working well. Obviously, people tend to love Apollo's tools. So you're definitely doing something right. <laughs> for For those listeners that might not have spent as much time in the graphical community, although I will say that this would be very difficult, that might have missed Apollo so far. Maybe give us a little bit of an overview over the myriad of things that you all do in the graphical community and also products you might have or, or other offerings so that everyone knows exactly what you all do? Yeah, so Apollo is a platform for building a graph. And we see the graph as a new layer of the stack that fits between the UI and the service layers. And it brings all of your data and your services and your capabilities together into one consistent and discoverable place that anyone can access with the GraphQL query. So the way we help developers do that is by several of our tools. Obviously, we have Apollo Client for web, iOS, and Kotlin, and that helps developers connect their clients to the graph. We have Apollo Server, which is our open source JavaScript implementation of a GraphQL server to help developers get up and running with the graph quickly. We have Apollo Studio, and that's our SaaS offering. We have an IDE in the cloud called Explorer that helps developers write queries really quickly, save their work, and share it with their team. And then tying that all together, we have Federation. And so Federation is kind of the secret sauce behind the graph because it allows you to write your graph in separate modules and then compose them together into one single unified place that anyone can access with the GraphQL query. And so Federation is, you know, an open implementation. It works with Apollo Server, but also a number of different languages. We recently introduced a push to incorporate 12 different languages for Federation support, including Kotlin and Ruby and Python. So it's been really incredible to kind of see the, the Federation community grow and to see uh, developers really rally around the idea of creating a graph. So many products. Yeah, it's fascinating because we, we meet with a lot of companies here at Graph City and that also use GraphQL. Definitely not as many as you do probably at Apollo, but quite a few. And a lot of the bigger companies are heavily relying on Federation. I would actually say most large companies that have multiple teams are using Federation nowadays, at least the ones that we 
talk to. And that's been really fascinating to see. And I, I think you've clearly hit a mark, right? There, there clearly was a problem there that you're solving really, really well. And from what we've heard at CrassCDN, people are very happy with Federation and, and how it works. Yeah, I think it really solves a, a need for developers, right? Like before Federation, we had either you know, a GraphQL monolith. And I think that's a perfectly fine way to get started, but obviously requires a lot of like special tooling to to do it correctly, especially at like GitHub scale, for example. And so, you know, eventually over time, like that monolith can become a bottleneck with many teams like making changes to the graph. Then I think we kind of saw the rise of like multiple disconnected graphs like spinning up in a company, right? And, um, you know, I think that is maybe an okay way to like get more client teams onboarded. But when you have like those separate back end for front ends, then you just have like the point to point connections that we used to have with REST and you're not like getting the most that you could out of GraphQL. And so Federation is awesome because it allows you to write your schema code in those separate modules and then compose them together. So it's one you know, unified graph for the client to query, but it's made up of those separate modules. So teams can like, you know, ship code independently. They don't have to worry about like breaking changes. And it's just like a you know a really excellent way to build like decoupled GraphQL microservices that are flexible and and stable and resilient. Federation's come a long way, you know, from back when this podcast was airing, schema stitching was the way to do this GraphQL one graph type of deal. And now you have actual thought and kind of a lot of care put into this federation concept. Often the people I talk to who are implementing GraphQL at enterprises, large teams, they don't understand that a user is a user is a user. You know, it's more like whether you're different teams, the the, the schema for the product is still the same, whether you're on team A or team B. Then they get kind of tripped up by everyone has their own GraphQL server with the implementation of the same type that everyone else has, and you get into this weird problem. So Federation, is, it's like a you know, home run. Does like Apollo's studio enhance Federation? Is there tooling and products around Federation that people can like kind of offload to you, you all to kind of figure out for them? Yeah, absolutely. So we have managed federation, which coordinates the deployment of a federated graph. Obviously, when you're introducing a distributed architecture, there's a little bit of added complexity. And so the Apollo schema registry helps you coordinate those deploys. So there's no downtime. There's also a, a lot of really great like CI CD features, like composition checks before you deploy your code to production. You can actually see how, you know, one schema change will kind of affect the overall graph by like running checks against your production graphs traffic. And so uh, we have a lot of other more exciting features planned. You're able to within Explorer like see query plans within Explorer, which is kind of how Federation like breaks up your query and distributes it to different parts of the graph, which I think is really cool. We're also going to be, you know, introducing later this year, just like more simple ways to get up and running with Federation. At Summit last year, we also introduced the Rust router. And so Federation it's still, you know, in preview mode, but previously we had the JavaScript gateway, which still works really well. We have a number of uh, large enterprises using it 
in production, but it's JavaScript, it's single threaded, right? So there's kind of, you know, you have to, you know, scale it horizontally in certain ways. The Rust router is like incredibly fast uh, and performant and, you know, relies kind of on Rust and, and it's multi-threaded nature to, to make really great things happen. So I'm very excited for the Rust router to become stable this year and to get it in developers' hands because I think it's really going to change the game for how they deploy and build federated graphs. It's fantastic to see that you keep investing in this and so many people use it. It just keeps getting better. Uh, one thing I'm also really curious about is how, how does Apollo think about open source work, right? Obviously, like you said, we mentioned all of the many different open source projects that you all maintain and, and, and community contributions you all make. How does that work inside of the company? There can often be a little bit of tension between the maybe commercial side of the company and the open source side of the company. How have you all solved that as an organization? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And honestly, I don't think any one company has like solved it. I think we navigate that tension really well at Apollo and it allows us to have really healthy discourse and debate, which I appreciate. But, you know, honestly, I think it all comes back to like, we got our start, like our roots are in open source. Before Apollo was a company, we were an open source project and community. And today we have dozens of open source projects that we continue to maintain. So I think just across the board, everyone understands how important open source is to our success as a company. And, you know, most of our enterprise leads come out of the Apollo community. Maybe they kind of, you know, started building something small and it really took off in their organization. And then, you know, then they eventually become enterprise customers. And so just, I think that focus on building long-term relationships, making sure that every developer who interacts with the Apollo community has a positive impression of Apollo is ultimately like what we're all here to do. Yeah, Gatsby, we're still trying to figure out the push and pull between open source and commercial, you know? And I think that's that's always there as long as people are making the right decision for the customer or the, the user at the end of the day. Speaking of these users, I'm really impressed with how Apollo educates their newcoming users. I recall seeing something called the Apollo Odyssey in the tutorial which seemed like the longest like a like a nice journey to take from going to zero to hero with with Apollo could you kind of explain like how that product came about and the intentions and you know all the like yeah so I think I'll just kind of start like a year ago where we were on this journey we saw a real need in the GraphQL community to have like one happy path for developers to learn how to build a graph. There's so many great resources out there and so many tools, but it's sometimes really hard to like put the pieces together and figure out like what you should learn when. So we decided to build our own learning platform called Odyssey. And what's really unique and cool about Odyssey is no matter what type of learner you are, Odyssey has you covered. So we have these really awesome short form, like snappy, you know, two to three minute videos. Then we have like the script underneath with the text explaining what's in the, the video with really rich diagrams. We also have uh, code challenges that the learners will complete along the way and get instant feedback about their solutions. And so it really kind of tests your skills and your knowledge like from every angle. And since its release, we've launched five courses, one GraphQL certification that you get for completing all five courses, and we've just seen it completely take off in the, the GraphQL community. It's been 
really amazing just to see the positive feedback. We have like a, a survey that folks take at the end and then it feeds back into a Slack channel and like we measure, you know, like what developers thought of the course. And y'all know like developers are an overly critical bunch, but yet we have still managed to maintain like a 9.5 out of 10 quality rating for all our Odyssey courses. So just major props to the team and our education manager, Raf, who built this from the ground up. It's been really awesome to both like be able to teach the world about GraphQL and also build a really high quality, incredible experience for developers. That sounds like a ton of work. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work, but um, you know we have a lot of fun doing it. We've been able to kind of expand the team. We have like an in-house video team now helping us with these videos, and uh, a lot of like developer educators, uh, you know, building out the curriculum and engineers, you know, building the courses. So. We don't do it alone. We have an incredible team of folks helping us out. But um, yeah, I think developers really want high quality learning resources, right? Like it's not the same as it was before the pandemic. Like we used to be able to travel to conferences and take workshops in person, but like that's, you know, not happening anymore. We don't know when that's going to be able to happen again. So I think it was kind of perfect timing for us to like invest in a self-paced course that developers can kind of take on their, their own time and be able to to learn at their own pace and, and um, also like level up their skills in a short amount of time, right? Like all of the courses are like 30 to 45 minutes or less. So like a developer can just like complete that on their lunch break. We don't want to waste their time or make them, you know, invest like hours into building a graph. We want to like get them to their first query as quickly as possible and help them see the magic behind GraphQL. Sounds awesome. For sure. I, I wish that it existed back when I was learning GraphQL. What's coming next for, for Odyssey, if you can share already? What, what are the plans for it? What else are you going to teach people about in this fantastic way? Yeah, so one of the most highly requested courses is a federation course. So that's going to be the next one out very soon. We're just about to release into early access. So that'll be closed for now until we get some feedback and then we'll record the videos and release it to the general public. So very excited about that course. And then developers who complete that course will be awarded the professional level certification. So the second certification in our series. And then from there, you know, like everything we do uh, on my team is just kind of linked back to developer feedback. We've gotten a lot of requests for like advanced client courses, also like advanced server courses on, you know, caching and auth. Mobile is another area where I think we're going to see some explosive growth in the next one to two years. We've been seeing just massive adoption of our iOS and Kotlin clients. And so we're looking into how we can craft a really awesome mobile experience for Odyssey. It's a little bit difficult because of the way that we run our code challenges right now. We do their like serverless function uh, with Netlify, which works really great for JavaScript, but not so much for like iOS and Kotlin. So we're just trying to figure out how we can maintain the quality there and still provide a really awesome experience for mobile developers. If anyone has feedback on courses that they want to see, you can just like reach out to me on Twitter or drop a line in the Odyssey feedback survey. We literally read every single one. So yeah, we want to hear from you what you want to learn next. Yeah, there's so many good developer resources out there. Back when GraphQL was just starting, 
you know, people were relying more on tutorials and blog posts and workshops. And it's so cool to see just the proliferation of content and so many different mediums, too. Not everyone's a video person. Not everyone's a reading type. Most people are do it or, you know, they want to get their hands dirty. So with like so many new developers learning GraphQL, like what do you think the hardest part is now understanding the stack? Like where do people get tripped up the most, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it kind of depends on where you're coming into the GraphQL ecosystem from, right? So maybe you are a client developer and there's already a graph at your company. And so you're kind of figuring out, okay, how can I connect my app to the graph? That's maybe a different set of concerns where, you know, if you're a developer at a company that doesn't have a graph and now you're, you know, building your first schema and you are trying to connect that to your app. So like, that's a different set of concerns. I think there are always kind of the evergreen topics like caching and security and auth that tend to trip people up. Not because there aren't solutions, because there certainly are, but because there's like maybe a lot of outdated like blog posts and just like opinions in, in the the general broader, you know, um, JavaScript ecosystem that like you can't do caching with GraphQL or like GraphQL is in, insecure. You know what I mean? So um, I think, you know, maybe some of those like outdated opinions can send learners down the down the wrong path. So yeah, I think, you know, it, it really just depends like where you're coming into it from, what are the main concerns from for you? And then that kind of influences like how you learn GraphQL and, and your journey going forward. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I've never actually thought about the different personas going into GraphQL. It's fascinating to hear that you thought, obviously you have, uh, that's it's your job, right? But <laughs> it's really fascinating to hear. One more question about this education community topic. How have you seen the community shift? If you think back to the very early days of, of your Major League Soccer first GraphQL experience to now, what have been the biggest changes that you've observed um, if you compare those two experiences? And, and what do you think is coming next for the GraphQL community? Yeah, so I think when I first started out, like things still felt a little bit like bleeding edge. There were, you know fewer companies like doing it in production and making it like their entire company strategy. There was a lot of like tribal knowledge being passed down through blog posts and like conference talks and GitHub issues. Um, so, you know, I think the community and the, the ecosystem was maybe a little bit more fragmented, a little bit more experimental, but that was also really fun and exciting too. And, and I think it allowed a lot of innovation to take shape. Now we're seeing such an explosive growth in the GraphQL ecosystem that it's not just coming from the you know JavaScript and React developers anymore, right? We're seeing more mobile developers who are interested in the graph. We're seeing more backend developers who might not be you know familiar with the JavaScript and the React ecosystem, but they're you know coding in Kotlin or Python and Ruby, and now they're getting really excited about the graph as well. We're seeing more DevOps folks getting excited about the graph and seeing what it can do for their company. We're seeing more you know engineering leaders and like uh, directors and VPs like investing in the graph and making it their engineering org strategy after hearing how you know companies like 
Netflix and Walmart and Expedia and PayPal have all had such success with the graph. So I think we're like entering a new phase of maturity where, you know, it's not just like this bleeding edge experimental thing anymore. Real companies are investing in it, having success. There's so much innovation and excitement happening in the ecosystem, and I can only see it growing and taking shape even more in the in the years to come. Yeah, it used to be the wild, wild west back then oh, yeah. <laughs> on what to do on your day one and uh, which libraries to use, which people to listen to. And now, you know, there's GraphQL for Java, Go, and iOS and Android, which back then you'd kind of have to hack together with like your own HTTP clients. <laughs> totally. So it's crazy. We're not even in that naive world anymore. We're in this kind of stable world. And I guess the future is just more people versus more things that are innovating as much. It's just more ubiquity is probably where we're headed. And I think that's such a bright future for your company, for all companies that are involved with GraphQL and cough, cough, graph CDN for caching and stuff. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> just touching on your point of like people, Abby, I think we're going to see more GraphQL adoption from not just developers, right? I've heard from like designers who are using like GraphQL data, like in their Figma mockups and like product managers who are using Explorer to just like create queries without writing any code, right? So I think we're also not only going to see just more developers gravitating to the graph, but also just like anyone who's like technology adjacent starting to understand like what the graph can do for their roles as well. Kind of preaching to the choir, but I would concur. I think GraphQL is just going to keep growing. It's awesome for a reason. Yeah. Um, so that's all the time we had today. I just want to say thank you, Peggy, once again for joining us. Uh, we dropped a lot of knowledge bombs here, and I hope our audience knows a lot more about kind of Apollo and its many niceties, but also its value for community and education. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun, and hopefully maybe we all get to meet up in person at a conference soon. That would be super fun. But um, anyway, yeah, I'm just so inspired by the work that y'all are doing for Gatsby and GraphCDN pushing the ecosystem forward. And I'm excited to uh, continue that with both of you uh, in the months to come. Awesome. Thank you for being on, Peggy. It was fantastic to talk to you. Mm-hmm.